Second and third, one out in the second and didn't score. Smith corks one into right down the line. It may go. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. It's a home run, and the Cardinals have won the game. Welcome to the score. Here's your host, Brett Wiseman. Good Saturday morning to you all. Welcome to The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. A full house this morning, joined by two of my most favorite friends in this industry and two of the most consummate professionals I've ever met. My good friend Graham Tuck and voice of the Carolina Thunderbirds, Drew Blevins. They're here to talk eh, what probably everybody in the state's ready to talk about right now. That'd be the Carolina Hurricanes, fellas. I'll seed to Graham on this because I know Graham has the fans' perspective, and we'll get technical here in a second. But what a year it's been for Carolina, even though it's been a COVID-shortened season. It's been a fun team to watch. But I think the more important thing is to look at the way this team has developed over the past three seasons, and now you see the results and the fruits of their labor. That's kind of what I wanted to ask you, Graham, and Drew, good segue. Um, We'll get to Graham here in a second, but, you know, the thing for me is, and Drew, you know as well as anybody here that, you know, if anything, the Canes are probably my second team, the, the Blues come first. But, you know, living here and seeing, especially fans that come into our arena in Winston-Salem, that, you know, 100% of the time, it's not always Thunderbirds gear. Even when I see them around town, I, I recognize the faces and they're wearing Hurricanes gear. You know, this is... Uh, again, over the past three years, you've kind of seen that resurgence. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right on that. And what's been fun to see and what I think some people in Raleigh take for granted and the rest of the state doesn't know is, technically speaking, the Carolina Hurricanes are the most successful pro sports franchise we have in the state of North Carolina. They're the only one who's reached the ultimate pinnacle of their sport. They're the only one with a league title. The Panthers have made two Super Bowls, didn't come through in either one of those. The Charlotte Hornets are a middling NBA franchise that'll have an explosive year and then will fade back away. I mean, the the only other teams that we have that are this successful continually are non-Big Four sports and minor league sports. You've got the Durham Bulls, who are perennial AAA baseball contenders for the overall AAA championship, not just the former international league championship and then North Carolina FC and DNC courage. Right. And, and Graham, let's bring you into this for the, for the fans perspective. We'll get to Drew's technical knowledge in a bit, as we talked about, but um, for you as a fan, and I guess I would say lifelong fan of this team and this franchise, it, is this the most excited you've been and the most confident you've been as a fan going into a Stanley Cup playoffs? 
Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, it's hard to say confident when you've got to go through some really tough teams. I mean, Colorado, Vegas, assuming you even get past Florida and Tampa in round two and then Nashville in round one. It's it's going to be a gauntlet one way or the other, but at the same time, I feel like this is easily the best team that I've seen the Hurricanes put out since I can remember. I mean, I was young in 2006. I don't remember that team at all, but I remember them winning, and I remember that the Hurricanes were good when I was very young, and then after that, it was just poor play for years and years and years, and I knew that they had, you know, they had the stalls, they had Cam Ward, but... It wasn't something for me to be excited about. And so finally, now that the Canes are good again, it's fun to see hockey growing in popularity as the Hurricanes are bringing it back into the state. And this isn't like 19 when it was it was kind of a Cinderella run. They snuck in as a wild card. They beat the the top seed, the number two seed, I should say, in the East um, that year in seven games. And the Capitals, the defending Stanley Cup champions at that time, I might add, and then got to the Eastern Conference Final and then ran into a buzzsaw in the Boston Bruins. This is a completely different team in the fact that it's not a Cinderella story. This team, granted, as you said, Drew, was a COVID-shortened season, but in a 56-game year where it's you're playing the same eight teams over and over and over again, it becomes incredibly tough, and that's why I also think Colorado winning the President's Trophy means more this year because you've had to play the same eight teams every every time out. But see, Brett, I would argue with you on that because I think it means less. And any other NHL season, you get to see the entirety of the league at least once. Fair point. Here, here, you're only taking on these same eight opponents. And as it breaks down in every division, you have the cream of the crop. And, and every division winner is a bona fide Stanley Cup champion, um, championship contender. And then you go down the division and you go, well, is, is this division really built out? Is this a really strong division? And, and in Colorado's case, outside of Vegas, the next closest team was Minnesota, who only had 75 standings points this year. And while they played well and are obviously in the playoffs, that division, that Honda West division, wasn't overall impeccably impressive. And then, I don't mean to rag on the host's favorite team, but even the Blues are in at 63, and beyond that, it is just the the bottom feeders of the NHL. Woefully so it, underwhelming, I might add. It, it, exactly. So, and, and that's one thing I wonder about the playoffs as a whole, and I know we're going to get into that down the stretch here in, in this interview, but when it comes to having each division champion play out of that bracket of four now, I wonder how things are going to look in what would be the conference final spot and the Stanley Cup final spot. Yeah, Graham, you know, you know as well as I do, and we, we've been talking about it, you know, just in general conversation for weeks now, you know, who Carolina wants to face, but we can't assume that they'll get past Nashville because here's the thing about Nashville. They play a lot of, they play a much different style and a much older style than Carolina. Not that Carolina doesn't forecheck well. I talked about that last week, the, the analytical statistics of how long they keep the puck in the zone, but Nashville kind of follows that Washington-St. Louis 18-19 model where they physically beat you up to the point where they'll try and wear you down. Right, and see, 
that's one thing that worries me as a Hurricanes fan because we've got physical players on our forwards lines, but a lot of our skill players are just that. They're skill players. We, I mean, we've got Yanni Hockenpah on the back end. Dougie Hamilton throws the body around. So does Sveshnikov. But, I mean, you saw what happened last time Sveshnikov tried to put a hurting on somebody in the playoffs. He got knocked out by Ovechkin. So, you know, you don't want to be forced to play that kind of game. And I think that that series can go very well for Carolina just based off of you know, how the special teams shape out. I mean, Carolina is top three in both power play and penalty kill, third and penalty kill at 85%, and the second at power play, 25%. And, you know, for the Predators, they're at the bottom of the league in both of those categories, 17% power play and only 75% on the kill. So, you know, if you can if you can win the special teams battle, if you're Carolina, I think you should be able to get out of this first round in four or five games easy. And a team that plays as aggressively physically as Nashville is going to take a lot of penalties. That's... That's simple enough, and when you've got a power play as lethal as that, you take advantage of things that way. I, I, I could see this going six games. I don't see it going anything more than that because here's here's where the two teams differ. Nashville, in the in the fact that they can wear you down physically, they can't. They follow that Washington St. Louis model, but they don't have the depth, right? They don't have the four lines that they could roll out continuously and just continue that relentless attack. Carolina has those four lines. Carolina has those three D pairs. When they roll any of those combinations out on the ice, there there's no let up. There's no give. Oh yeah, absolutely. And a big part of that from my perspective is they need to get Jacob Slavin back as soon as possible because you know, we were talking about power play penalty kills, special teams just a second ago. Jacob Slavin only has two penalty minutes on the year which is insane in, a, in, in any kind of season, COVID shortened or not. But, you know, Jake Bean is not horrible on the back end, but he's no Jacob Slavin. And so I think that if you're the Hurricanes, you need to just play your game. You know, they, they can they can beat almost, they can beat anybody, in my opinion. They've beaten every team. They had a winning record against every team in their division this season. Detroit gave them a scare, but, you know, they pulled that one out. I don't know how that ended up happening. But the only thing that scares me as a Hurricanes fan in terms of, you know, what's going on with the Predators is Soros in between the pipes. He's just been outstanding this year. And, you know, if anything can happen in the playoffs, it's a goalie standing on his head. But like you were talking about, Cinderella run with the, you know, the 18 Hurricanes. Nobody expected Morozik and McElhaney to do what they did in the playoffs. And I think that if Nashville's going to go far, they're going to need Soros to play out, out of his mind. Soros over, I mean, you've got Rene too, so it's not like you're incompetent in that regard, but Carolina, you know, Drew, I, I've talked to you about this multiple times. The, the problem that I've seen in the past has been inconsistent goaltending, and this year more so than any other year has been the most consistent I've seen goaltending-wise from Carolina, and that in the playoffs can go a long way. Well, everybody knows that goaltending is going to be important in the playoffs. Everybody knows, as Graham touched on, you can have a guy who just catches fire and that's part of the reason the Hurricanes won the Stanley Cup in 2006 was because of how good Cam Ward was. But I think the Hurricanes goaltending has gotten a really bad rap, and I don't understand why. I, I get that it's frustrating. Uh, the goal Patrice Bergeron scored in last year's playoff tournament in Canada on Peter Morozik, one that he'll even tell you he probably should have had. But the Canes goaltending has been right there statistically with everybody else in the NHL. That's important. I mean, they are... In my opinion, they were not the weakest link 
in either of the previous two runs for the Hurricanes. The problem's been the Hurricanes could not match up physically with a team that is known for its physicality like the Boston Bruins. You add Yanni Hockenpah, you keep Dougie Hamilton healthy, you hope Andrei Svechnikov continues to bulk up and grow and maintain that same tenacity and physicality he has, and then you know those guys that are coming uh, off the taxi squad, they're working for a spot as well. They're trying to go out and prove themselves. But back to your point on goaltending, I think the interesting decision now becomes how do you manage three capable netminders. James Reimer has been statistically solid. He's got experience. He, he's kind of the veteran on this team. Peter Morozik has been off and on with injuries this season. I think that's something that gives you pause because he's barely ticked over 10 games played throughout this 56-game season. And then you've got Alex Nedeljkovic, whose playoff experience is only at the AHL level. And while, yes, he's won the Calder Cup, when you're playing in the Stanley Cup tournament, it's a much different feel. And Mrazek went through this when he was with Detroit, where he outplayed Jimmy Howard down the stretch in the season and then got two playoff games. The Red Wings get buzzsawed. He gets yanked. Detroit gets bounced. And ever since then, I think he's had a bad rap in the playoffs. And then, of course, we know James Reimer and the Toronto Maple Leafs and their Game 7 gaffe against the Boston Bruins back in the early 2010s. But I think you've got the right tools in place. A lot of this goes back to Rod Brindamore's goaltending philosophy where you're mixing up the guy who plays. And it's kind of like throwing a new starting pitcher in baseball. If you've got a guy who wins you a game but looks shaky or you've got a guy who's solid or you've got a guy who just does not place a good hockey game, you've got options there to put back between the pipes to help your group get settled and win the next game. Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. And look, while, while I kind of fell into the trap of explaining that that, that was the pitfall, that there were a lot of other factors that, that went into that. Um, before we get in the break here, guys, what, what, are, what are some keys... Uh, to this series against Nashville, we talked about special teams. We talked about goaltending. You know, uh, w- w- give me give me three keys to victory here in this series. How can Carolina move on? Well, I'll I'll say one thing. First of all, like I said earlier, you got to win the special teams. I think that that's first and foremost. If you can do that, you're keeping you're 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 at par. That's what you're expected to do. And you're taking care of business there. Secondly, for the Hurricanes, you need depth scoring. You've had it most of the season, but you can't just rely on, you know, Sveshnikov, Aho, Teravine, and Trocek. You can't just rely on those guys because that's what they had been doing in postseasons past. And it worked to an extent. But then once you get to the later rounds of the playoffs, you're going to need people like, you know, Yester Foss. Morgan Geeky, those kinds of guys, they are going to need to step up and provide goals in big times. And then third and most importantly, I feel like this is very cliche, but at the same time, you need whoever you're riding with that goaltender to be on. And that's what happened when they made their run to the conference finals a couple of years ago. But whether it's Najelkovic, whether it's Mrazic, probably not going to be Reimer, but if he gets the call, you need whoever's back there to be reliable. Yeah, and I think for me, just to go almost polar opposite of Graham's points, In the playoffs, you're not going to get a ton of penalties called, especially late in the hockey game. So I think it's important for Carolina to be the better team five-on-five. I think most of the year they have been in this division. They've been so strong when they're playing at even strength. It's nice to have a strong power play and penalty kill 
in case things go sour or in case you give up a special teams opportunity or gain one in that same vein. The other thing I think is you have to be the better conditioned team. You never know how these games are going to go. You could get a strong game from UC Saros and you can have Forsberg or Tolvanen or Victor Arvidsson or even Callie Yarncroke, who's had a great year, pop one in on you late, go to overtime and lose. When you're getting into those games five, six, and seven, Rod Brendamore is a conditioning first coach. Carolina has to have the most energy and the most jump going into those later games in a series if it gets stretched that far. And Graham's right on goaltending. I mean, it, it cannot be expressed enough how important it is to have a strong goaltender. And, you know, I think for Brendamore, he manages that position differently, but so exceptionally well. And I think you're looking at him to pull the right triggers and flip the right levers at that position when it comes down to it. And one more thing I will say before we get into break, and both of you make excellent points. Graham, to your point about depth scoring, this is a club that consistently throughout the year, and it's important in, in cup winners past that we've seen def- defensive cores get involved offensively, scoring-wise. Um, that's something that this Carolina team has done really, really well up until this point, and I think that's going to be really important going forward. When we come back, we'll dive into the rest of the Stanley Cup playoff bracket as the best two-and-a-half-month stretch in sports gets underway later this afternoon. Back here on The Score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com, joined by two of the smartest hockey minds I know, the voice of the Carolina Thunderbirds, Drew Blevins, who, before we get into the rest of the Stanley Cup bracket, I must say... um, Congratulations on another fine season with Carolina, albeit it was shortened. Uh, all on the road to pull that off. Uh, fantastic job by you and everyone in the organization. Um, hats off to all you guys. It's, it didn't end how any of us wanted it to, but certainly uh, kudos all around. It's going to be one of the most fun chapters to write in my memoirs when I finally retire from this industry. Uh, a season I'll never forget for sure. And, and thanks for tuning in and listening. Graham and I uh, had to help out remotely as best we could, so that's that's something for us to remember too. But yeah, you've you've got a uh, how many hours worth of you know bus stories to tell that you had before that now you've got from being on it nonstop. Uh, let's get into the rest of the bracket here later today. Things get started with a series that, for lack of better phrasing, is just going to be two teams beating the ever living crap out of each other. I would say. And that would be Boston and Washington. Yeah, I think that that one's going to be one of the more fun series that we've got in this playoff, you know, first round matchup set. Obviously, any of them could be entertaining. You know, we've had very, very entertaining play throughout this season in all of the divisions. But I think that Boston and Washington, obviously the East division has been the closest at the top throughout the entire season between Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston and the Islanders they've all performed pretty well and it didn't really come down. You know, it wasn't decided until the very end, which team was going to, you know, the seating, which team was going to be number one. I think Boston and Washington are two teams that could both easily make it to the Stanley cup final. If things go their way, but in this one, I really think that it's going to come down to the star power, kind of the opposite of what I said for the hurricanes. And right now, Boston's top line has been on its hair. Taylor Hall has been one of the best acquisitions at the trade deadline that I've seen in a very long time. 
And so I would be surprised if Boston doesn't leg this one out. It's going to be close, though. I also think this is an interesting coaching matchup with Peter Laviolette, a guy who's had demonstrated success in getting teams to the Stanley Cup Finals, winning one with Carolina back in 06, against Bruce Cassidy, who's kind of a new kid on the block given NHL coaching years, but has taken this Boston team and, and really drug them to conference finals and Stanley Cup finals. Haven't reached the pinnacle yet, but I think you're right. This is a very old-time hockey series. I think you're going to see a lot of physicality, and, and I'll be interested to see how this shakes out. Th- this has got to be the chalk pick to go seven games out of all the series, I think. I absolutely agree, and as I said, this is going to be probably the most physical between whistles, not after whistles, between whistles. And it's going to stretch after whistles. But it stems from the Tom Wilson-Brandon Carlo incident. As a hockey player, do you have selective amnesia? Yes. But I guarantee you there's nobody in that Boston Bruins dressing room that has forgotten that incident and is not going to take some semblance of that mentally into that series. You're right on that, but at the same time in the playoffs, and we've seen the Department of Player Safety crack down on suspensions, and it really doesn't matter if you're deep into the Stanley Cup playoffs. The best way to get back at somebody is to knock them out of the tournament completely. And for Tom Wilson, he obviously had the knee-on-knee collision. I believe it was with uh, Abe Kubel of the Philadelphia Flyers. So gimpy going in as it stands, but... Everybody knows what brand of player he is, but at the end of the day, he's only one guy that is skating out there on the roster, and there's plenty of other problems Boston's going to have to deal with on that Washington side. But I think you're right. Everybody's going to want to get a lick in on Washington's number 43, but at the end of the day, you've got to go out there. You've got to put pucks in the back of the net, and you've got to win hockey games, not win personal battles in order to advance in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Well, that, that was kind of the back end of my point, too. You're, you're going to want a shot at him, and you're going to want to get involved physically as you do in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But if there's any team that's as elite offensively, Graham, as you noted, with Taylor Hall, who has just been on an absolute tear since he came over from the Buffalo Sabres, you add him to an already you know lethal offensive club with Marshan, Bergeron, Pasternak, and... Uh, a defensive core that gets as involved offensively as any other in the league. Um, While Washington's also pretty elite offensively, that's hard to match up with. Yeah, I think it is. But at the same time, you've got to think about, you know, what are the teams doing between the pipes? And it's a question mark for both of them. We've seen explosive offense from both of these teams. Ovechkin's had a down year, at least goal scoring wise, but it hasn't seemed to affect the Capitals that much in the standings. And they've been fine without him. But between Samsonov for the Capitals and then, you know, the rotating carousel of whoever the Bruins decide to put in the crease on any given night, it's going to be a real wild card for both of these teams as to, you know, who's going to be able to stop pucks. And Samsonov, he's played, you know, I would say he's been above serviceable so far this season, but this is going to be his first real test in the playoffs. So it's going to be interesting, especially against a team of Boston's offensive prowess. Totally agree with that. Um, let's get to some of the other matchups here going forward. There's only two other ones that get going this weekend, and then the uh, the vast majority of things get going Monday night. Um, the Battle of Florida. The Panthers and Lightning, for the first time in both of those franchises' histories, will meet in the Stanley Cup playoffs. That one will get started Sunday night. 
Prior to that, Vegas and Minnesota get things started in the West at 3 o'clock Sunday afternoon. Again, all these games for the final time, I might add, on the networks of NBC Universal. So here's the thing about Florida and Tampa. You didn't mean to cut you off, but Florida and Tampa, two teams. Florida wildly overexceeded any expectations that any of us had, but they're not the favorite going into this because they, they simply don't have the experience Tampa Bay does. They don't have the experience, but they have the hunger. This is a Florida organization that, much to their credit, has undergone a transformation in the past handful of years. Joe Quenville, I think, has an outside shot at the Jack Adams Award this season just for taking this roster, building it over the past couple of years, and then this is the fruits of the labor that they've produced. I think Tampa Bay is going to win this series, and that's unfortunate for a Florida Panthers team that I would have picked over any of the other teams in the East had they not been playing Tampa Bay. Hard to believe that here we are with these two teams having been in the league 25-plus years. They've never faced each other, and they've always been in the same division. But this is awesome for the state of Florida, you know, and, and this is so much fun for an area that isn't necessarily known for hockey, but Tampa Bay has two Stanley Cup championships, and the Panthers have a Stanley Cup final appearance and a loss to the Colorado Avalanche in 96. This is fun. This is a young and hungry team against a very established defending Stanley Cup champion. It reminds me a lot of the Hurricanes Capital Series the last time fans were allowed at full capacity in PNC Arena for a playoff series of two rivals. This is a game that both of these teams take seriously. This is a series that they both want to win for bragging rights in the state. For for my money, this is the series I'm watching. This is the can't-miss one for me. It, it's going to be fun. And these are two teams that, as you said, consistently are rivals but have never met in, in the playoffs. And that's, I think, what's going to make this even more fun going forward. Let's talk about the President's Trophy winners for a second, um, who are, according to the always um, on-point folks at moneypuck.com, an 85% favorite to beat the St. Louis Blues in the first round. Um, am I, as a Blues fan, scared? Not necessarily. Am I worried? Yes, very much so. Would I have rather played Vegas? No. Because <laughs> here's, here's the difference. And we saw this in the regular season with both of these teams. Vegas is the only team in that division or the top four of that division, I'll say, that can match St. Louis and Craig Berube's style physically. You, you, you can, you can, you know, slow down skill with physicality. You can't necessarily stop it. And there were times that that Colorado just scored on, scored on, scored on, scored on St. Louis, no matter what they did in the regular season. But the only difference is Colorado can't match that physicality. And in the playoff series. We, you saw this with San Jose in 19. San Jose was as skilled as all get out, and Winnipeg was in the first round that there too, but St. Louis will wear you down to the point, and they'll still follow that model because Craig Berube is still behind the bench. St. Louis is going to follow that model of physicality where eventually it, it doesn't necessarily match skill, but it, it gets close enough to the point where it, it, they almost cancel each other out. This is going to be a gentleman's sweep, Brett. It's going to be a gentleman's sweep. Abs and five. That is one of the most complete teams in the NHL. And I'm just sad that Abs and Golden Knights 
aren't going to be the conference final, that that's going to be a second-round matchup because I firmly believe whoever wins that series is going to the Stanley Cup final from that side. And as much as, as I hate Hur- to say it, I wouldn't doubt it. So <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And as a Hurricanes fan, I was very much hoping that uh, you know Vegas would take the President's Trophy because that would mean that Colorado would go on a skid and then in the impending matchup in the playoffs between the Hurricanes and Avalanche, if it were to come, the Hurricanes would have home ice advantage. So knowing that as, you know, speaking as a Hurricanes fan, that you've got to go on the road against whoever ends up coming out of that division, should it happen in the Stanley Cup finals, that's a worry, especially if it's Vegas, because their fans are known to, you know, create a rowdy environment, even though teams only been around for a short time. It's still something that you've got to worry about. And on the other hand, when you've got a home, you know, a stadium like the Hurricanes have, an arena like they do, and the fans that they create in PNC and the noise that it makes, it's a big loss knowing that you don't have that home ice advantage. But at the same time, talking about Vegas, you know, or Colorado, either one, they've both been explosive offensively. Grubauer's right up there in terms of the Vesna conversation. So is Flurry, perhaps more so of a front one, uh, front runner, excuse me, than Grubauer. But either way, both of them. They're very complete teams, and like you said, Drew, I wouldn't be surprised to see whoever comes out of this matchup, you know, assuming that Minnesota or St. Louis can't pull something off in round one, they're going to be in the Stanley Cup Finals, in my opinion. Now, Minnesota's been a really exciting team to watch this year, and another one of those surprise teams in this unusual, unexpected, uh, unprecedented year. But another thing with Vegas and Colorado is, and with the way the rosters are set up this year, that you can carry three goaltenders. Um, Colorado has been able to consistently roll out three guys that, you know, can stand on their head at any given moment. Grubauer being the one, and then they go out and get Devin Dubnik at the deadline, who is a consistent playoff-performing goaltender. And then you look at Vegas, they've got as good, one of the better one-two combos in, in, in all of the National Hockey League in, in Leonard and Fleury. So... Excuse me. That makes as much of a difference as everything else, Graham. You you touched on you touched on fan wise. The only playoff matchups we're not going to see fans at are going to be in the North Division. I, I would I would assume Canada would not allow fans in any of the provinces, but um, Pittsburgh Isles um, that's going to be fun. All, all of these arenas are going to be. F- more full than they've been to any point this year. I think Colorado said 8,500 was the rough cap. St. Louis said about 5,000. I don't know what Carolina goes up to. Uh, Nashville is already up to 50, I think. Well, Carolina's up to 50, but June 1st, if if you trust the governor and his word, that's going to balloon up to 100% capacity at PNC Arena, and we all know what kind of home ice advantage that brings, if that is the whole... The, what I have seen from my, you know, the Hurricanes pages that I follow on social media is that the Hurricanes are sitting at, I believe it's 50% right now, and senators of the state are attempting to appeal to Cooper to increase that to 60%, but I don't think it's going to get any farther above that, even if it goes to the Stanley Cup Finals. I mean, you, you've still got that... and. You know, he's going to announce this at some point this weekend, but, you know, it's all dependent on that vaccination rate. And, you know, I don't want to get too much into that, but um, if it gets to 100% capacity, 
There's four major league ballparks that are going to be at 100% capacity at some point in June. Milwaukee just announced that they'll be there on June 26th. St. Louis anticipates Bush Stadium being at 100% by July 1st. So, um, And if there's any advantage that fans can provide, the Stanley Cup playoffs, more so than any other playoffs in sports, um, pro- provide that importance. Drew Graham, thanks so much for coming on. Feel free to stick around for for the baseball talk that's coming up. But uh, two of the better hockey minds I know. Thanks for coming on and bringing the insight. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. When we come back, Alex Wober, a uh, Seattle super fan, will tell us about one of the bigger storylines of Major League Baseball, and that's the Mariners and their wealth of prospects and why not all of them are getting called up. Next. Back here on the score with Brett Wiseman here on Tobacco Road Sports Radio, TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. Brett Wiseman, as if you if you haven't noticed, James Wilson is on assignment this weekend. Uh, he's not with us, unfortunately, but Desmond Johnson, our fine producer, is, and he's here to talk about any and all things Charlotte Hornets. Des, how you doing? Pretty good, man. Staying busy, um, but good nonetheless. Happy the spring is finally here. Yeah, we are too. I'm not necessarily happy the Hornets have to enter the play-in tournament, uh, but it is what it is. Uh, there's two games left in the regular season for these guys. There's a bit of a collapse against the Clippers in the home finale, a really good first half, and the same thing happened uh, last weekend with New Orleans where they had a really good second quarter and a strong start to the third, and then things kind of fell apart. In this case, you got a strong first, a strong second, and then the second half was a complete was the complete opposite of things um, in, in the home finale for the Charlotte Hornets. But you get two road afternoon games this weekend, uh, 1 o'clock today at New York, 1 o'clock tomorrow at Washington. Uh, what, what, are the, what are the expectations here on this back-to-back to finish things up? Uh, I don't know because the Hornets aren't playing very well right now. Um, haven't lost three straight and I, I'm kind of, uh, I'm, 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 I'm taking the different stance in terms of the play in tournament. I think the Hornets do need to get in the play in tournament. Well, they're, they're already in it, but I think it's a good thing for them considering this team was picking in the top three of the NBA draft just nine months ago for them to be able to go from that to some sort of postseason play in one season is a testament to the players they've brought in the drafts. They've had a couple of years prior, uh, LaMelo. And James Borrego, who, in my opinion, should get some Coach of the Year votes for what he's done with this squad. If they had stayed healthy throughout, I fully believe they would have been the fourth or fifth seed in the Eastern Conference this year. So uh, I actually like them being in the playing tournament, but I think they need to use these two games this weekend to kind of get ready for it. Uh, I don't. Th- I think if they win both of them, they still have an outside shot to get to the, the eighth seed, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? I'm just yeah, so they, they, yeah, they've, they've got the... They've got the tiebreaker over Indiana because they won that season series. Right. Um, if it comes to that, I don't know that it will. That's going to be dependent upon winning out this weekend, um, especially against a team like Washington that's going to be in the play-in regardless, a team you might end up playing in and the play-in. But I want, I want to avoid the Wizards as much as possible. They're probably the hottest team in the NBA. They, they, are, they are likely the hottest team in the NBA right now. And yeah. it's a team that earlier in the year you smoked by 30 points and then – you know, they, they get on this roll when you have somebody like Russell Westbrook, that happens. Yeah, and I mean, even though Beal, I think Beal is still out. I um, can't remember what it was, a hamstring or something. I can't remember what it was with him. 
Uh, I know he has incentive to play this weekend because him and Steph Curry are battling for the scoring title. So um, I'm not sure if they're going to just let him sit or if he, if he can go, he's probably going to go. Uh, you don't get too many opportunities to battle Steph Curry the last weekend of the season for the, you know, the scoring average title. So I would think the Wizards will be going at that full blast. Who did you say they play uh, on Saturday? Saturday they got the Knicks. The Knicks. Uh, it's another hot team. Um, yeah, man. I think the Eastern Conference is actually a lot tougher than what people give it credit for. Um, it's a lot of rugged, good defensive teams. Um, the Knicks probably being – well, they are the best defensive team in the league, uh, except for the Lakers when they're fully healthy. So uh, it's going to be a tough – Tough uh, thing. I don't want the Hornets to go into the play and have them losing five straight, though. So hopefully they can get a split uh, this weekend. I, I think you have to win out. I th- that's just how I see things shaking out here. Because look, it, I don't know. I haven't looked at who Indiana plays, but you can't sit there and you know hope for help, right? Right. You've got to take care of what you can take care of. You got to control the, the controllables. The and Lakers the Lakers have the Pacers. Well, the Lakers have the Pacers. Or excuse me, the Pacers have the Lakers today at one. And I don't know who else that might be their last game, actually. That might be a, a th- I think, you know, both these games for Charlotte were rescheduled. So Oh no, they've got the uh they got Toronto on Sunday. So they got the uh, Lake they got the Lakers it, and then the pa- the Raptors. Yeah, I think most of these games this weekend are either makeups or reschedules or postponements or whatever because we didn't get the start times for these two Hornets games until yesterday. Yeah, so. the 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 Raptors. I mean, they're out, so I mean that's gonna for for the Pacers. I should say that might be a game the Pacers can win um, fairly easily. I don't know if the Lakers are gonna play Anthony Davis and LeBron James this weekend. Uh, I know they're trying to avoid the play-in, but looking at the standings. They're well. They're in the seventh spot. They're trying to get to six. They're only half a game behind the, uh, the Trailblazers because they lost on Thursday. Um, mm, the Lakers are probably going to play. So the Pacers are probably going to lose that game uh, to the Lakers, and uh, it kind of opens it up for uh, the Hornets to at least not be in the nine spot uh, or or not get overtaken. They're tied with them right now, but uh, I'd love to see them get up to. They're not going to catch the. Of course, they, can't, they don't have enough games. They can't catch the Knicks. Um, as long as they stay in seven or eight, they're okay. Like it's that's the trick with the play-in tournament. Like if you're the seventh or eighth seed, you only have to win once. Just win once, and you're in a regular playoff format. If you're below that, like nine or ten, you got to win twice on the road uh, to to even get to the eighth seed. And th- that's what I want the Hornets to avoid. I don't want them to fall to nine uh, this weekend and then have to play the Wizards. In a winner-take-all scenario, uh, I don't think we match up very well with them right now. So that would be what I would be trying to avoid if I was the Hornets. Yeah, the the, the mindset would be, as you said, you, you beat, it's likely going to be Boston at this point. That's not 100%, but... No uh, no Jalen Brown. I mean, that's a game, and like you said, the that's Hornets That's a winnable game. Success. Yeah, the Hornets That is a very winnable game. Yeah, in fact, I would actually expect them to beat the Celtics, uh, to be honest. I would, too. And the last time they played, the Celtics were at a lot fuller strength than they're going to be this time around. That was only, you know, Easter Sunday when that yeah. was. So. Yeah, like a month ago, yeah. Yeah, so, so mm. the the thing for me is, and it, it you can pretty much assume at that point that's who you're going to face, but... That's that's game you have to go into expecting to win, and that me and you would expect them to win. Right. Um, 
and that you have to have the mentality of, okay, this is a must win because we don't want to go into the, you know, confusing maze runner scenario yeah. where, you know, you've got a ton of moving parts in the play-in. You win and you've you've got a guaranteed seven-game series. That's the seven series. Keep in mind, too, the Wizards actually have stuff to play for this weekend. They're in the 10th spot, but the Bulls are only two games behind them uh, after they won uh, Thursday night, too. So the Bulls still have a flicker of hope to get in. If they win out this weekend and the Wizards lose out this weekend, the Bulls are the 10th seed. Not I think the, the, the Bulls have the tiebreaker in that, don't they? Correct. So, so, if, yeah. so if the Bulls so if they finish out, with identical good. records, then, yeah, the, the, the Bulls, Bulls would get would the 10th seed. Yeah. And, and honestly, I, I would rather see the Bulls <laughs> than I would. I would Wizards. much rather face the uh, although they're, they're hot, too. But, yeah. you know, you got Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon and, you know. Vucevic, but I kind of feel like it's a better matchup for the Hornets uh, against the Bulls. They kind of match up better um, than against the Wizards. Like we don't not, really have not a anyone. Team they played fairly well against in the regular season, but you know, again, yeah. I, I agree. I think a team that they match up with pretty well. Um, we'll get to the rest of the NBA here here in a little bit. <laughs> Let's get to some keys to, to victory here in these next two games. Look, we know the Knicks are good, which still feels weird to say, but. What what what's Charlotte got to do here down the stretch uh, on this last weekend? Uh, let Lamelo cook. I think mean, I think that's pretty much the gist of it here. I don't think we're gonna get Gordon Hayward back. I'm sorry, my Chihuahua thinks there's a person at the door and there's not. We gotta uh, protect the family, right? Yeah, there's. Uh, I think the main thing they need to do is let these young guys play. They're, see, there's no one out here. Yeah, get, get out of here. Get out of here. Sorry. Um, they got to let the young guy. They got to let the young guns play. Uh, this is what reason why I want them to be in the playing tournament, so they can get a taste of this, so it becomes normal. I think a lot of the uh, the guys um, earlier in the year, can't remember which Hornets said it. I think it was Miles Bridges, but they were basically like, you know, we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, they're tired of being looked at as laughing stocks of the league. They're tired of being looked at as a non playoff caliber. Uh, program and i think by getting in and making a little noise this year there's not a lot of expectations on them so just play loose play loose play fast the way they've been playing uh share the ball and uh just continue to do what they're doing now except at a different level because of course what they're doing right now has led to a three-game losing streak but uh they got to get their defense a little bit tighter and uh they're not they usually don't lose games when they're leading in the fourth quarter and they did the other night so they got to get back to basics with that as well in terms of holding on to leads and um, just playing Hornet ball. I think you have to play consistent defense for, for longer stretches if you're Charlotte because here's the problem that we've run into these these last couple of games with New Orleans and then the other night against L.A. The first half or the second half was, as I said, it was complete opposites of one another because there was – Closeouts on closeouts on closeouts in the first half against the Clippers the other night. And then the second half, it, it just kind of turned into, okay, we burned everything up. We don't want to close out anymore. Right. Um, that so defensive, it's, it's a lot of it's fatigue. A lot of it's being down a few guys, but a lot of it's also mindset, right? Yeah. Well, they've never really been in this position before, you know, where they're this close to, well, they know they're in too. I think that's part of it. Even though it's like they know they're in the play-in game, that I would think that might have took some of the edge off for some of the younger guys. But you said, yeah, I, yeah, but you know, the the veteran presence is there in the locker room. I don't know how involved Gordon Hayward is being hurt, but yeah, see, a guy like Cody Zeller, a guy like Bismarck Biombo, that's those veteran presences but have to say, hey, we're, we need to stay where we are here. We can't drop. 
but they don't really have a lot of postseason experience themselves. Uh, I don't except, think, for, except for Biz. Yeah, Biz from other teams. Yeah, right. Uh, never with the Hornets. And I think Cody's only been once, if even then. So, yeah. Uh, I think Cody's only, been twice. Twice. He was, he was with the Bobcats in 13. Ah, gotcha. So, so it's been a while. Uh, and those guys, to be honest, I'm not even sure if they're going to be on the roster next year. So, right. uh, you know, there's not really a lot. Hayward would have been, if he was playing, uh, then yeah, because he's actually gone to battle in the playoffs and actually – uh, has had some success somewhat uh, as recently as last year. So he knows what it's like for, you know, May, June basketball. Um, and I have no idea when he's supposed to return. Um, I haven't. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know what the timetable is there. I haven't I haven't heard anything definitive on it either. So I, I, I don't know. But, um, you know, Biz, fun fact with Biz, passed uh, – <laughs> Past Gerald Wallace for fifth on the all-time games played list. So, oh wow! Um, as much of a fan favorite as, as Crash was for for me as my favorite player growing up watching the watching the Bobcats. So, um, it, and I don't want to like come down on Zeller or Biz or anything like that. It's just I, I, center is the weakest part of this roster. The Bulls have I, I've said I've said that from day one. Yeah, and, and it's like they can't wait on guys like Vernon Carey or Nick Richards or whatever to develop. Those guys are nineteen years old. Like. We needed someone like now. Um, now they didn't want to give up a lot of uh, draft capital or money or players uh, to do that right now, and maybe they'll be able to find somebody in the draft this year, or maybe they'll be able to develop Carey to the point where he can be the starting center come next year. But just just, just to let you all know, both Andre Drummond and Hassan Whiteside are unrestricted free agents this this uh, this summer. So just let let Mitch Kupchak and everybody know that. Uh, a, those two are free agents. B, Hassan Whiteside's a native of North Carolina and played AAU ball with Devontae Graham in Raleigh. So, so like, so they they know each other. And, and I was a big fan of Whiteside in terms of him coming here to Charlotte. Uh, that would actually be uh, extremely good for the Hornets to do that. Um, I made that trade in home. franchise mode in two K, and now him and Devontae are unstoppable. <laughs> so yeah, that would be that would actually be a really good pickup for uh, the Hornets if they could figure out a way to bring him back to. The state of North Carolina. I I think that's that's definitely got to be looked at. I don't want to look too far ahead, but you know, again, I, I think it's vitally important to it at the very very least win one of these two games, and then look, the Knicks are locked in. They're probably going to rest some guys. They're locked into the only thing that can change, and there's not much of a chance of it changing. Period is seeding. So right. they they're locked into. The playoffs. They're not in the right. play in. They're locked into the top six. Exactly. The only things that can change are between them and I can't remember who's between them and Miami, but between those three teams. Uh, so, actually, I had it right here in front of me. Hold on a second. Because, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I like what they're doing. Um, I was a fan of Julius Randle when he was with the Lakers when they first drafted him. Because everyone knows I'm a, uh, a Lakers fan. I did right. not like it that they had to send him off. Um, so I felt like all, out of all those draft picks that they had drafted, he was the one that was going to end up being the good the good player. Uh, let's see. You've got the Heat at five, the Knicks at six, the Celtics at seven, right, as it stands right now. Um, right. 76ers the, next to the, Cel- the, Cel- yeah, the Celtics more than likely won't be able to jump Miami. So No, Miami, there's not enough games. There are yeah, the, games Miami's locked really. into the six. Or lot locked or into the top or, six, so yeah. the only thing that can really change is four through six could could flip flop spots. But correct, the Heat and the Knicks are tied right now at thirty nine and thirty one, um, with two games to go. So yeah, those could flip flop depending on what happens this weekend. The Hawks look like they're pretty much locked into the fourth seed. 
at the top, the 76ers and the Nets are only separated by a game. So uh, that, be, that could very well change. And yeah. look, if you're Charlotte, you the the ideal thing would not be to face either of those teams in the best of seven series. But well, the, the Bucks are only two games back from the 76ers. So the top three, that could actually change over the course of this weekend based on what happens. The 76ers are in the driver's seat. I almost would rather play the 76ers than the Nets. Be- uh, I, don't uh, that, uh, I don't know that I. I don't know. I don't know. What the Nets? I'd rather play Philly. Healthy. I'd rather never- play. I'd rather play Philly because here's why. There is a lot more firepower with Brooklyn. True. That's and true. Philly, Philly has a, a a consistency in the playoffs of not living up to expectations. That's true, but well, with Doc there as the coach, I think that it's settled them down as a franchise. Right. Uh, they they actually kind of know what they're doing now. Um, Brett Brown, I think, put a lot more pressure on 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 that group than needed to be. Right. Like they're actually Embiid's actually in the paint doing center stuff instead of standing out three point line as a seven footer, um, which just draws me up a wall. Uh, I don't. I still don't trust the Nets. I know they're very good. I know they're extremely good on the offensive end of the ball. Uh, but we haven't seen them play. The, their big three has only played seven games together this year. Uh, it's kind of like the Clippers last year where they had so many injuries, but everyone just kept saying, oh, we'll wait till they get in the playoffs and play together. They're going to be great. And then the chemistry started you know, showing that they didn't really have any. I don't know if that's going to apply to the Nets because uh, these guys have played with each other before. So I'm not sure, especially like Harden and Durant. So I'm not really sure if that's going to apply to them. I just don't trust them. I really don't. I don't trust them to get all the way there. Um, to be honest, I don't know what to, I, I'm kind of leaning towards the Knicks, to be honest, out of the Eastern Conference. I kind of expect them to make it out because they're the best defensive team. So I don't know. It's going to be crazy. I hope the Hornets uh, get a good draw here and I hope they stay in the seven, eight spot. So all they have to do is win that one game and then they'll be in a seven game series against either the 76ers or the Nets. And then we can take it from there. Uh, but I, I'm proud of them. I'm excited for the future for the, for the franchise for the Hornets. Um, it feels like there's something to look forward to as opposed to just spinning our wheels every year like we typically do. There, it feels like there's something on the horizon, and that's and that's really all we wanted. We and just we, wanted the, something to cheer for. Right, and, th- and we said that from the get-go of this season, that that things were looking up and that expectations were a lot higher than they'd been in recent years. And look, hopefully you get Miles Bridges back this weekend as well, which could be make a huge impact on, on yes. both of those games. So that would be huge. He was playing fantastic when he had to go out. I think so. he was he was averaging like this last ten games he's played, he's averaging like twenty points a game. So Yeah, yeah. He was doing his thing with Gordon gone. Uh now if, if we can get him back, that'll taper not having Hayward since Lamelo was back. Uh so you still got someone there at the three that was playing well in Miles. So it's not too much of a drop off there. And in some cases it might be even better having Miles there than Gordon. So uh I think that's the key, maybe getting Miles back. Hopefully he didn't really have uh, – I don't know if they ever said he contracted COVID or they just had to put him in the protocols or or, or what. But uh, hopefully he didn't have a very bad case, so it won't affect him going forward. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing him in the postseason. I really am. I am too, Lynn. I'm looking forward to seeing this team in the postseason as well for the first time in what, what seems like ages. Well, let's get to the rest of the NBA next. We'll take a break and get to the rest of the association as we finish up the regular season here on The Score.